Thanks for joining us. This is the EWN Podcast Network. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Rev with Rachel, where we recreate, enlighten, and vibrate in our radiance. This podcast is the place to learn about healing, transformation, potential, and radiant living. I am Reverend Dr. Rachel Whetstone, but please just call me Rachel. Thank you so much for listening and to learn about true healing from the inside out. This episode is brought to you by the Rev with Rachel affiliate, Source Code Meditation, an online education and meditation practice for awakening your higher brain and expressing your most radiant, authentic self. You can go to the show notes for the link to sign up for a free enlightening webinar with the creator, Dr. Michael Cotton. And I am so excited today to bring him to you on the podcast. So I'd also love to stay connected with you. And if you want updates about Rev with Rachel and living a Rev life, please go to drrachelw.com, enter your name and email address, and I will send you Rachel's nine happiness and healing essentials. And I talk about higher brain living and source code meditation in there as a couple of my favorite tools for living my most authentic self. And the link for that is in the show notes. And you can also like my new Facebook page, Rev Life, with Reverend Dr. Rachel Whetstone and get all kinds of good content there for healing. Today's episode is called Higher Brain Activation with Dr. Michael Cotton. Dr. Michael Cotton is a leading theorist and teacher of the evolution of consciousness, culture, and the brain. He created the higher brain living technique that shifts energy out of the lower brain and into the higher brain where our potential lives. He has trained and certified hundreds of people in this transformational work and has led retreats in the U.S. and internationally for 20 years. He holds a doctorate in chiropractic and has more than 30 years of experience in personal and cultural transformation. He is now introducing for the first time the culmination of his life's work, Source Code Meditation and the Nine Summits of Transformation. His new book is now on Amazon. It is called Source Code Meditation. And the Source Code Meditation World Headquarters and the Higher Brain Living Institute are located in Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Rachel. I'm very happy to be here. It's awesome to have you here. You're my first guest who is making a second appearance on the podcast. (laughs) Well, that's fantastic. I feel honored. (laughs) (laughs) You have so many amazing things to share. And so it's just such an honor to have you here. And, um, you know, your work has benefited my life and my family and the clients that I have worked with. And so just thank you for, for what you bring and for what you teach. I love it. Oh, well, thank you. I was just, uh, as we were just beginning, I was thinking that you and I have now known each other for a few years, and it's been a great joy watching your evolution and transformation and and who uh, the the just real drive for your own personal growth over these last few years. And it's it's exciting that you, you have this show and you're uh, you know, you're committed to making the world a better place, which we're, we're kindred spirits there. So. Yeah, 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 gosh, yeah, stepping out in this way, definitely I needed my higher brain activated to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I right. was not a, you know, I, I was kind of, I'd sit back in a group and just take it in and not be the one doing the talking and all of that. And so, 
Yeah, it's been, I think, over five years. I've been through your training and on your Mexico retreat, I think, four times. And yeah. I mean, that's, that's true fun for me. <laughs> yes, it's been a joy having you part of the movement. Thank you. So let's talk about your new book, Source Code Meditation. The tagline is Hacking Evolution Through Higher Brain Activation. So maybe if there's anyone who hasn't listened to your last episode, I think it was episode eight of um, the podcast, can you give a kind of a quick overview of what does that mean to activate your higher brain? Yeah, so um, there is the, the way we evolved as a species, the lower part of our brain actually emerged first in the evolutionary process. And over time, the brain actually evolved in layers. Uh, nature never abandons something that works. So when this early lower survival brain first emerged in the species, which is very fight or flight, very protective, very fear-based, very survival-based, it, it kept us alive. And as evolution kept going, these, these higher layers of brain evolution were laid down. Well, now we're at this point where we have this highest level of our brain, uh, which is the, the, in part the prefrontal cortex, but it's much more than that. It's this whole higher apparatus. But this higher brain capacity has now emerged in evolution. And yet, it's not fully functional. So we have this anatomy or architecture of this new brain that the research now tells us is associated with uh, high spiritual states, uh, deeper enlightened states of consciousness. It's associated with purpose in life and meaning in life. And, and all of this capacity in this higher brain, but we haven't yet fully metabolized it. And so my life's work has always centered on helping uh, bring energy into those dormant, higher, untapped potentials within the human brain to unlock our evolutionary potential as individuals and ultimately as a species. And so uh, source code meditation is, uh, as you stated at the first, is the culmination of my life's work. And this book is, it's my first book. It's been inside of me for a decade. And in fact, it's been being written for a decade. And it's now, uh, it's finally come into being. We got a tra traditional publisher wanted the book. We went, uh, we had a massive pre-sale. It sold all over the world. And now uh, it's live to the public. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. And I'm excited about being here with you. Yeah, that's awesome. I know there's a lot of people that are looking forward to this book. So very, very cool. Um, with so one of the words you use a lot is evolutionary. And I, I've heard you talk about uh, you know, evolution and creation both being true. And so I just want to kind of bring this up because I, if there's anyone listening who's kind of like, well, this is a spiritual thing. She's a reverend. What is evolution and, you know, creation? How do these go together? Can you talk about um, how, how that is that they're both true? Oh, Rachel, I'm sitting here smiling so big. I wish you, I wish this was video so you could see it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because, because I started, as you, as you started asking me that, I started to remember back to our first interview and remember at one point I said something like this to you. It's like, wow, you don't shy away from the big questions here, do you, Rachel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you can just run with it. You don't need yeah. to worry about conversing. 
Share so, with no, us. <laughs> I, I love this. The truth, the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, throughout my career and I, I've, I've always, you know, it, it's always a struggle to kind of meet people where they are, right? It's like some people land in front of you and they go, I just, I just want to not be depressed and I want to not be stressed out. And, and, and you try to, you try to meet them there. But, but what I love about you and your show is that, and this is where I think you and I are really kindred spirits, is that what really turns me on, the juice in all of this for me, are these big ideas and these big potentials. And it's, uh, I, ju I just had to say that before I answer the question. And so, so for, for me, yes, um, evolution and creation or uh, uh, evolution and spirituality are not incompatible terms. In fact, I see uh, evolution as spirit in action. And so evolution, uh, we, we, in our kind of Western culture, we tend to think of it from what we learned in our, you know, in our biology books or our, our test textbooks that was largely this Darwinian idea of what, what's come to be kind of cliched as uh, survival of the fittest, right? It's that the that evolution works through these random mutations that are then passed on uh, and, and that the confers a greater survival advantage on the next generation. And all of that, I believe, is, is true, but it's incredibly partial. And so evolution is this large cosmic process that I, I started at the beginning of time. There's a pattern in evolution that appears to be going somewhere. And, and, and when we even started the universe with the Big Bang, prior to the Big Bang, right, there was no thing or what we might call God or spirit, whatever our term is. But the point was, is that out of that came something, came this Big Bang, and space and time were born 13.8 billion years ago. And ever since then, there's been this, process, this winding up evolutionary process that's happening in all of the matter and energy that was first spit out 13.8 billion years ago. And so now what's happened now is that this, this original matter energy is wound up inside of us right now. And it's wound up inside of our brains. And our brains are now creating these greater degrees of complexity and along with those greater degrees of complexity and those higher potentials in the brain are higher. It, there's also this evolution of our consciousness that follows that, that our mind is expanding along with the expansion of our brain. And there's also the evolution of culture. We've gone through these major epochal shifts in culture or civilization that's all part of this kind of one evolutionary dynamic. And so uh, uh, if we take that, and I know that was a lot, <laughs> and just kind of step back for a moment, I see evolution as this, this just profound spiritual uh, happening or experience. Is that, that out of this, this Godhead or this no thing or this pure spirit or, or, whatever the ground of being or whatever we want to say 13.8 billion years ago came this evolutionary impulse, which I call spirit in action. And it's been creating new forms 
ever since the beginning. And we are one of those new forms. And we are waking up to the fact that we're one of those new forms. So uh, somehow, Rachel, your questions get me going and I end <laughs> up in this territory <laughs> that is usually reserved for the end of an advanced talk. Uh, yeah, I know. That's two, okay. Two later in. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. So, so what, what is it about the lower brain? It gets in the way of our experiencing or knowing that or living that spirit in action. Yeah. So the, so the, the issue is, is that the lower brain was, again, it evolved at a time when the environment was full of predators. It evolved in early, the early human species as a way with its primary mandate simply being survival. And the way the lower brain, and see if you, if you can think back, you know, for most of the, for most of life on the planet for our species, it was a very hostile, brutal world full of warring tribes, full of saber-toothed tigers. We were centered on how do we find shelter? How do we feed ourselves? How do we procreate? Those were, those, that was kind of what was important right? Mm -hmm. And so the lower brain developed as a way to excel at exactly that. And one of the ways that it does that is that once the lower brain establishes or finds a certain pattern or pathway in life that keeps one alive, it habituates it literally in the neurons of the brain by laying down what's called uh, a myelin, which is a white matter that wraps around the nerve fibers that then create a default in your brain that predisposes you to take the same path over and over again that kept you alive. So for instance, if you, you, know, if you were flushed out of your cave, your cave collapsed and you went and you went to, and you finally found another cave and you got up high enough in that cave that saber-toothed tigers couldn't get into it, well, you wouldn't likely look for another cave. You would just keep that cave. That cave is safe. It may be dark and damp. You may not really like it that well. It may not be very big, but you know what? You're alive. And so it hardwires into you going back to that same cave. And the same thing happened when we went out to gather food from that new cave or water from that new cave. We may go down a path that we don't like, very well. But if it led to food or to water, we'll do it over and over and over and over again. We won't risk another path. So that, that conferred actually a very uh, large advantage, survival advantage, by being able to habituate these patterns that kept us alive. And it got us to a certain point in our evolution. But what's happened now is that this newer, higher, more evolved part of the brain has emerged in us. And it's the part of the brain, in fact, that the, uh, the, the uh, famous uh, uh, neuroscientist and brain researcher from the National uh, Institute of Mental Health, uh, Dr. Paul McLean, uh, he referred to this higher part of the brain as the angel lobes, because that's the part of the brain that we modern humans can access our spirituality, our higher consciousness, our samadhi states of consciousness, our transcendent states, our flow states. It's where we unlock our life purpose. It's where we derive meaning. All of that 
is it's required that energy or metabolism shifts into these higher brain structures for us to have all of those high-end capacities. But what's interesting is we're at this kind of evolutionary conundrum because now we have this modern world that is so full of demands and complexity and below the conscious threshold, all of that stuff in our modern lives is being filtered through that old primitive brain. And that old primitive brain has a very limited repertoire of how to experience the world. So what it does is it reacts to everything it doesn't understand, which is all of the complexity of the modern world. It reacts to that as if it's a tiger or a little tiger in its environment. And, and when the modern world overwhelms the lower brain, all the lower brain does, knows to do is to hunker down and habituate whatever it's been doing that's kept it alive. And so we end up, we end up with th these little glimmers of what the higher brain could offer with new relationships, with better finances, with awakened states of consciousness, with our life purpose. We have glimmers of this and we start to pursue it. But then the old lower brain goes, oh no, you don't. That may not be safe. There may be tigers out there in that new life. And so it, then it directs us, automatically redirects us into the same finances, the same relationships, the same occupations, the same environments, as if we were in the Stone Age when we needed to go back to the same cave, we needed to go back to the same watering hole. Uh, and, and so that, that Stone Age brain of ours has its grip on our modern life. And until we can shift the center of gravity or what I call the command center from that lower stress fear brain into that higher thrive brain, then it's kind of like we're, we're beating our head against the wall. Uh, I'm not sure that's the best analogy, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. We're, we're, we're not able to really bust free in our life because we can't bust free of the lower brain and those things are correlated. And so uh, that, that lower brain, again, we don't want to make it wrong. It conferred a huge survival advantage on our species. It's got to this point. But now what's happening is it's holding us back from getting to the next. And so the, the, what the research tells us is in a modern life, the, that, that lower brain is so ill-equipped to deal with all of the complexity and demands that 24 hours a day, it's in some kind of... Uh, kind of hyper-vigilant, under-the-conscious-threshold mode of trying to protect us from everything that's out there. And that is not conducive to our growth and our evolution and our purpose and creating meaning in life, which is all possible when we make that shift to, to the higher brain. And it, I think it's so important for people to know that's possible, too, oh. that we can do that. Yeah, so you and I were just having a conversation before the, this um, this started, Rachel, just a few minutes before we actually went on live, and you you said this to me. We we were that there's people now. You're starting to hear some of this language. I've been talking about this for a while, and you're starting to hear this now in certain circles that there's an awareness that the brain is a major player, right? This, that that the, the lower brain versus higher brain is a huge 
issue. Like people are starting to talk about that now. I mean, science has demonstrated it for some time, but now it's, it's becoming popularized in certain, you know, circles. And one of the things you said to me is that, but your work actually makes this happen. (laughs) It's not just a story talking about it or yeah. Yeah. And it's powerful. And really what you're speaking to, I like how you say in your book, why self-help seldom helps. And it's really around people want change. They want things to improve, but our lower brain is it's just hijacking our potential. Absolutely. And uh, there are, <laughs> that's one of them, but there are a few rather uh, provocative uh, chapters and sub chapters in there, but yeah, uh-huh. uh, why self-help seldom helps is one of them. And, and you got it. That's exactly it. Because because if the, if the lower brain is trying to protect you, and it is, if the lower brain is trying to create sameness in your life, and it is, well, so many of these things we pursue with good intentions and with valuable insights of how we need to think differently or strategies to create in our life or vision boards that we need to make, all of this is fine but if it's but if there's a biological part of us, our lower brain, that does not want to change, then when you do all of those things, right? When, when you receive life coaching into a brain that doesn't want to change, it has a very diminished impact. Mm-hmm. But if you can shift the brain, and and that's why self help, the research is just not good around the the outcomes of. of with people really making transformative life changes, they end up cycling back into the same life. And what I'm insisting is self-help isn't going to help until we can shift into the part of the brain that actually wants to thrive and wants that new life and can experience purpose and meaning and stay on that path for growth and evolution because it's designed to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to keep the listeners wondering, how do we do that? And I'm <laughs> first ask you to, to touch briefly on integral meta theory. And, you know, learning about the four dimensions was really powerful for me because in my research training, we were just so focused on the body. You know, mm-hmm. it's, our bodies are really just about diet, exercise, and medicine. That's all you can really do. But um, we know that in what I learned more from you and I kind of awakened to myself is just the emotions, the mind, our relationships, environment. Can you speak to how that is all really integral? Yes. So again, Rachel, you're making me laugh because I'm thinking we're 15 minutes into this interview. And if if cosmic evolution wasn't enough, now you want me to talk (laughs) about integral meta theories. (laughs) Yeah. In in a brief amount of time. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I love it. I'm just deep. Okay. So yeah, integral meta theory uh, is basically a a very uh, sophisticated philosophy that I used as an orienting framework for everything that I create. Uh, There's a number of of, uh, integral meta theorists. I consider myself an integral meta theorist. I think probably the the genius of the movement is is Ken Wilber, uh, who has, you know, 25 books on uh, the evolution of consciousness and, and integral meta theory. And he's been a, ma- a major inspiration to how I create the maps around uh, the, the, this, this work that I use, that I have uh, that what that it, a real differentiating factor, as you mentioned with what we do is we don't just have great maps of reality or of the life process, but my work actually 
changes the vehicle that we drive across those maps, <laughs> right? And mm -hmm. that's, that's us, our, our body, brain, mind. So your question about integral meta theory, yes, is, is that a, one of the fundamental uh, aspects of it is that uh, reality uh, cannot be reduced. And let's just say a human being, a, a sentient being cannot be uh, reduced beyond four major dimensions of their life. And this will, this is actually a good tie-in uh, to why this source code meditation technique is such a revolution, not just in meditation, but in uh, personal growth in general. And so I, I'm going to, I'm going to explain integral meta theory, but I think if you let me use an example, I'll be able to really tie it together really well. Yes. Of so, course. The, the, so the example I want to use is, is, is just is is around meditation and why meditation is so excruciatingly hard for most people we know right there's enough science today to tell us that uh that meditation causes a lot of very profound changes uh you know uh, increased happiness uh decreased stress less depression more joy uh, a, a lot of really wonderful things. The challenge is, is when we start to get into some of the bigger claims of meditation, of really, you know, entering into transcendent states of consciousness and uh, these flow states and, and unitary states of, of oneness with, with the, uh, the universe and with the world and uh, a relationship to God or the Godhead and and this really, what, what meditation was really about, this transformative experience, that, you know, these samadhi states and satori states, and really just radically shifting your consciousness to waking up, right? And, and so from, what, from a very intensive study, what I found is that even though all of the world's wisdom traditions, all of the contemplative and meditative paths all point to this, very, very, very few people that actually pursue them or pursue meditation of any kind actually get anywhere near those dramatic life changes or changes in consciousness. And so here's why. And meditation is a very one-dimensional approach to personal transformation. And it, it, it works in what we would call the mind dimension. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, this is one of the four dimensions of integral meta theory, right? Mm -hmm. The mind dimension. The problem is, is that very few meditators, very few meditative, meditative techniques recognize that there are four. And so meditation approaches everything from a mind-on-mind -mind perspective, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. So our mind is that part of us that's subjective, right? It's our inner experience. It's our consciousness. It's our thoughts. It's our feelings. It's our emotions. It's the part of us, even when we say I, that we're referring to, our inner, our innerness, right? Our subjectivity. Mm -hmm. And so meditation takes that, takes our mind and says, now listen to this, it says, hey, there's a problem with your mind. Your mind is erratic. Your mind can't focus. Your mind is, 
thinking re- re- discursive critical thoughts. Your mind isn't free. And so what does meditation then do? It takes the very instrument, our mind, to try to change what it says is the problem. Okay? Are, are you with me? Yeah. So we, we take meditate. Meditation then has us sit down and take our mind and learn to focus our consciousness, focus our mind on certain things, or attend to certain things arising in our consciousness. But it's all centered around using the mind to change the mind. And this is like asking the fox to guard the hen house, Right? The mind is the thing that's erratic, and now we're using the thing that's erratic to try to change the thing that's erratic. And that, this is why it takes years and decades of intensive focus. The Dalai Lama says he meditates for four hours a day, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's what he thinks is required <laughs> to get the results. Yeah. And so here's the other major side of the equation that meditation misses, and that's the brain, and that's the body brain side which is objective different than subjective although they correlate are you following me i feel like i may be getting a little complicated here <laughs> it, it's a complex concept you, you did ask about integral talking about right? yeah okay i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna speed this up okay so so we have we have our mind was a subjective we have our brain which is objective And the brain is actually a physical structure. It's not just subjective, it's objective. It's a physical structure. And within that brain, what we know is certain areas of the brain have to get metabolism for us to have these desired states of consciousness that we pursue through meditation. But it's hard to get there using the mind to change the mind. Mm -hmm. So so the first understanding of integral meta theory is that the, the mind and the brain are not the same. They're correlated. They relate to each other, but they're not the same. They're two separate dimensions that are in relationship, but one doesn't reduce to the other. So with that said, if we know that the brain is on lockdown, right? If it's on lock, the lower brain does not want to change. Well, it's going to take a lot of meditation using the mind to change the mind to ever get where we want to go because where we want to go requires that energy goes into the higher brain. And so with our techniques, we have a way to instantly shift the energy into the higher brain. You wake up the part of the brain where you can have these advanced states of consciousness, and then you introduce meditation. So now we're applying both of these dimensions at the same time, the upper left and upper right, or the mind and brain together. We first change the brain and then introduce meditation, and that creates quantum outcomes or effects in meditation. All right. So integral meta theory tells us that there's an upper left and an upper right or a mind and a brain. And the other thing, just to make it quick, then, is that there's also a lower two lower dimensions that are the plurals of the two upper dimensions. And the 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 mind, that subjective experience, there's also a shared mind within relationships and within a culture that we have these shared agreed upon values and all of these shared interiors and then in the lower right there are uh the uh, the objective world has all of these systems with our socioeconomic system and our financial system and our educational systems all the way down to the the house that we live in and this you know all of this stuff that all impacts our growth and evolution and so uh, the the point is is that if you don't 
take into account all of these major dimensions, you never get full growth. Mm -hmm. And so the, the breakthrough of our technique in the meditation world, source code meditation, is that it's a what we call a brain-first meditation technique. We want to get right to the core evolutionary issue that's keeping meditation from working for most people. And we want to shift energy into that higher brain so that then when they meditate, it actually they actually can have these transformative experiences. Yes. And it, it can happen very quickly for people, which is awesome. Yes. That's really the major point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing I loved seeing was a video of Dr. Penny Montgomery. Mm-hmm. And she's a longtime brain researcher. And you were there doing some EEG, electroencephalogram of the higher brain, and measuring energy. And I remember her saying something like, wow, I've never seen anything like this before. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. We're like energizing and changing the brain and tapping into our evolutionary potential that we haven't accessed before. Yeah. I mean, and, that's and amazing. That, you're right, Rachel. And that really is the, what, once I found, once I had the, the aha moment a long, long time ago that the, the brain was the missing link in almost all self-development pro- approaches that I don't care what you did. If you're, if, you're, if you're locked into lower brain physiology, whatever it is you're doing is unlikely to work very well. But if you can shift into higher brain physiology, then what you're doing may work very well. And mm-hmm. once I had that aha moment, I realized that that was the greatest leverage point our species had to really make change. And I developed all of my work based on brain first. First, let's shift the state of the brain. And once we get it into a thrive state quickly, then we open up the space to change our whole life. And uh, particularly when we introduce meditation into that state, we get very dramatic shifts of uh, higher consciousness. That's awesome. You know, my experience first was kind of, I wanted personal growth, like I wanted to feel good inside, accept myself, things like that. But then at a certain point, things got spiritual. (laughs) And that wasn't really what I was expecting. But um, (laughs) can you kind of speak to, you know, those enlightenment states that can happen when we start, um, you know, diving into ourselves and asking bigger questions? Why am I feeling this way? Why am I reacting this way? Yeah, yeah. So, so the enlightenment state or states, it, it was kind of the point of most of the great meditative and contemplative traditions. Uh, and, and that is the ability to wake up. I mean, to wake up into a higher consciousness that doesn't, it doesn't obliterate the everyday consciousness, but it transcends and includes it. And it plunges us into this experience, this this transcendence or unity where we have this sense of how of this underlying um, cohesion or unity to the whole world. And our consciousness shifts into this the, the, the state of where we recognize the unborn and undying aspects of who we are, where we discover ourselves completely apart from our stories and our ego that we've created. And one of the ways that this can be uh, described is that if we, uh, if we think about the kind of what we call the, the, 
the waking state that most of us just go through the world with, right? We're kind of, in, our consciousness is embedded in this world around us. We're, you know, we're just, we're, we're living in this, this kind of material world with our thoughts and, and, you know, we are doing all this stuff out there. And, and that's a certain state of consciousness that we go, we go through the world in. Well, we go to sleep at night and, we're ha- and we go into the dream state. Now, the dream state is another state of consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. And in that, you still have a sense of, of your eye. You still have a sense of I-ness in the dream state. But the dream state is a very different state. It follows very different rules. And that's a particular state of consciousness. So, so then the next morning... You, you, you know, you wake up, you've been having these dreams, you're, you're at the end of a dream in the morning, you wake up and you go, and, oh, wait, one, one more thing. And so when you're in this dream state, you believe the dream state is real, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's what your eye is in this dream state and your eye, you know, me, Michael, or you, Rachel, in this dream, this dream is real in that state of consciousness. But then we wake up the next morning. And, he, and, and we, you know, we open our eyes and we wake up and we, we may even be kind of startled and we go, oh, wow, that was only a dream. That wasn't real. So what we're now saying is that this waking state, this waking state of our everyday consciousness simply intuitively feels more real than that dream state did, mm-hmm. right? So we declare, oh, I'm awake now, this is real. The dream wasn't real. It was only a dream. So we wake up from the dream. But here's the thing. So we go from one state of consciousness into another state of consciousness. And as we pass through the dream into the waking state of consciousness, it is just obvious to us that that's re- more real than the dream. We don't need anyone to tell us that. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's, it's intuitive. It's, it's, it's just how it is. So what happens in enlightenment states and what really these, these meditative traditions were aiming for but could not get a lot of people there because of the sheer amount of time it took without being able to first change the brain, what they were aiming for is to access these enlightenment states. And the enlightenment states you wake up again, okay, uh, as you wake up in your bed and go, oh, now I'm awake in my everyday waking consciousness. The dream wasn't real. Well, you can wake up from your everyday waking consciousness into a deeper, higher transcendent state that discloses truth and reality on such a profound higher level that the feeling is just as dramatic that that waking state is less real than this new higher state, spiritual state of consciousness or enlightenment state that I now have access to. And that discloses a, a part of you that is, I, that, that, it, that never even enters the stream of time you find that your ultimate I, your ultimate subject, who you really are on a deepest level is infinite, 
and eternal is pure consciousness beingness and never even enters into the stream of time. And so you discover something in you that is absolute. It isn't relative. It isn't going to die. It isn't going to run out of time. It isn't going to run out of money it, 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 because it doesn't even enter into that phenomenal world of time and money and experience and matter and energy. It's prior to, and you find that a part of you, that part that is actually your own consciousness expands so that you realize that you are uh, eternal. And that then allows you to take that deep, absolute truth back into the world that you still have to live in and breathe in and go to work in and make money in and take out the garbage in. And when that happens, it changes everything. When you have a relationship to that part of you that's utterly free, that's unborn and undying, it changes everything. It changes how you can actually show up in the world and in your life. And so that's what, that's what enlightenment actually is, is the, the realization uh, experiential realization of that deeper aspect of who you really are. And that's, that's part of what we um, promote uh, through uh, the source code meditation programs is to help awaken the part of the brain that allows us in this physical body to have those deeper enlightenment experiences. So so that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, just knowing that changed my life and then putting that to practice and then going through higher brain living and getting sessions, you, you really begin to embody it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. And, and to the potential in that is to live in a state of peace. Like we don't have to have a drama filled life or, you know, carrying lots of heavy emotions and all that. We can really clear all of that out and access states of bliss states of joy, just feeling compassion and acceptance. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you said that, that, you know, the, the living part of that, because the point isn't to find this, this nirvana and then just, you know, quit your job. The point is to find this nirvana so that you can bring it to your job, so that you can bring it to your relationship, so you can create your life purpose knowing that there's something in you that's transcendent to all of it, and you use the good word, peace. Why is that part of us peace? Because it's, it's unborn and undying, and, it, and, and it's uncreated. And if it's uncreated, it can't die. And if it's unborn, it can't die. And it can't be harmed. So you have direct and immediate access to a part of you that knows only peace. And, and knowing that, it just changes everything mm-hmm. as you exactly. state. Yeah. And I see in your book, too, you talk about the field of neurotheology. I mean, a lot of this is, is proven in research, and we see these changes in the brain, and we see these life experiences changing for people. Yeah. And, and a point I want to make, and, and thank you for bringing up the integral meta theory uh, element and letting me, um, well, I was going to say make sense, but I'm not sure I did that. <laughs> <laughs> Create more confusion around <laughs> these, uh, 
the, the mind and brain difference or the difference between consciousness and the brain. And as I said, a challenge with meditation is it tries to use the mind to change the mind. Mm-hmm. And that, that's very one dimensional and it takes inordinate amounts of time and energy for that to actually happen. But I don't want to make the mistake in the other direction either. And I want to be clear, and I know you know this, but I just want to be clear that I'm understood that I'm, I am not reducing higher consciousness to the brain or God to the brain or mm-hmm. these transcendent states to the brain. What I'm insisting, however, is that in this physical body on this planet, at this time, if you or I or any of your listeners are going to have the experience of God or deep spirituality or higher consciousness, there it requires that certain areas of our physical brain get energy and metabolize and, and change in certain ways. And without that happening, we're not going to have those higher end consciousness states so um mm-hmm. yeah exactly mm-hmm. so one of the things you also talk about in your book are, are just kind of signs that this shift is happening and and we're energizing the brain and the effects that show up you mentioned you know increased intuition and insight having transrational modes of knowing um transforming challenges into opportunities yep uh, new you know experiencing new behaviors heightened perception, confidence, no personal drama, and zero sign of victimhood, joy, purpose, creativity, meaningful relationships, and synchronicity and psychic capacities. And I'm brushing over those because we're running out of time, but they're (laughs) they're really, it's really powerful. And to be able to live life that way is liberating. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Thank. Uh, yes. Thank you. I'm, I'm R- Rachel. I'm just having so much fun with this. I know we're running out of time, but it. I don't get an opportunity to just go into a 30 minute or an hour <laughs> uh, presentation, really, and get and, and and be able to express the things that most turn me on. That that I'm just that I believe I'm on this planet for. Right. I believe mm-hmm. in meeting people where they are helping get people on that conveyor. So one day we can have this conversation, right? But what I love about you and the audience that you're creating is that we're just able to do this. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it is. It's wonderful. And I, you know, I have the opportunity now to be in your source code meditation program and the listeners can too, um, to learn, you know, more about all these principles you're speaking to. You, you have a weekly, um, coaching call that you do through that program and then people can listen to those and access those as they're going through those earlier stages in the program. It's amazing. It's just, it's life-changing. I love, you know, in the mornings, my, I'm, I'm with my kids. I don't get them off to school yet. So Tuesday mornings, I'm uh, playing that out loud in the house and yeah. my kids are getting exposed to it. And it's just, yeah. it's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. So um, your book is uh, launched yesterday. That's awesome. And then how else, can you just speak quickly to the webinar and what that looks like? Yeah, so we have we have a, a couple of different online programs uh, that are you know one's more basic and one's more advanced uh, for what you're looking for there. 
uh, a lot of the conversations we've been having obviously are about the more <laughs> advanced, which is awesome. Uh, but I, I have webinars where I do a, I do a training over the webinar. And then I, I kind of present some details around those programs and uh, people have the opportunity to enroll in them. And they're, they're excited. I mean, even if you don't enroll, one of the things that's important to me is to provide kind of leading edge information, takeaway information that says no matter what I do, if I'm, you know, if I spend an hour, hour and a half on this webinar, it's going to have value to my life. And so I build that in uh, before I really uh, even talk about our programs. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, it's a great, you know, you learn all this stuff that we're talking about today, and then you apply it into a a daily practice for your own personal evolution and growth and accessing what we've been talking about today. Yes. Yeah. Um, So listeners, you can go to the link in the show notes. You know, the website for Source Code Meditation is sourcecodemeditation.com. I would love for you to go through my link so we know that you're coming through this podcast. Um, It's a kind of a messy, long referral link. But if you could go to the show notes and access it that way, that would be wonderful. Uh, Michael, thank you so much. It's just always an honor to be with you. And to have you on this podcast has been so awesome. Thank you, Rachel. I, I this, the same right. It takes one to know one. <laughs> <laughs> right, right back at you. I, oh, I already wow. said it. I already said it through this. But I'm oh, really, I'm, you. I'm grateful for what you're doing in the world. I've for the last five years, I've watched your your growth and evolution, and to do what you're doing right now at this kind of, you know, it's not a lot of places you get to have these conversations, and they're so desperately needed in the world. And so, just. Uh, uh, you know, from one fellow explorer to the next, thank, <laughs> thank you so much for, for what you're doing and for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. It's, it's an honor. Likewise. Listeners, my new book, Radiantly Free, Recreating Life and Health from the Radiance of You, is now on Amazon. This highlights a lot of my own personal story and things I learned along the way. You can check that out. And I have an app that will support you on your journey to inner healing and radiance. It's free to download, and you can subscribe for more features, including my daily recreators, power words for retraining your mind, and get special push notifications from me with quotes and other messages for for your healing journey. I've quoted Michael Cotton in there. I quote my own book and um, other things. And then I also just send reminders, you know, to pause and breathe and... um, take moments to come into the present moment. So for the links to download and subscribe to that, go to rachelapp.com. With that, remember to rev, recreate, enlighten, and vibrate. Thank you for listening. Until we meet again, be love. EWN Podcast Network.